Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm so excited for my guest today. I am joined by Ron Thurston, author of Retail Pride. You can see I have the book right here. And it was really incredible to read, even though I'm a retail leader myself. And I wasn't totally sure what to expect when Ron sent me the book. I was really pleasantly surprised in not only being able to relate, but in all of the non-retail uh, nuggets of information that were kind of dispersed throughout the book. So definitely get your copy through the link in the show notes today. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this episode. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up and don't forget to subscribe and click the notification bell so you can check out all of the future episodes that come out every Tuesday. Keep watching. Okay, well, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am joined by Ron Thurston, uh, author of Retail Pride, which was one of the most captivating books that I've read. I definitely learned a lot about myself while reading, and I'm so excited, Ron, for you to be here today and for you to share all of your wisdom with the listeners. So I'd love to pass the mic, so to speak, to you um, to introduce yourself to everyone. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tracy. And I'm, you know, it, you and I met through a mutual friend through Megan mm -hmm. Hull. Yes. Um, and so I had heard you on her podcast. And so, I, you know, I love the <laughs> synergy that happens in our industry. It's yes, like you it's think amazing. about, you know, retail being one of the largest employers in the country and, you know, top five in the world. Yet I continue to meet people like you and other who, have like the secondary, you know, it's not definitely six or seven degrees of separation, it's two or totally. one. I love that. I know, um, me too. Yeah, I love that about our industry. But yeah, so my name is Ron Thurston. I am um, the vice president of stores at Intermix uh, and the author of this book, Retail Pride, which we'll spend our time. Um, but I am, a, I would say, a, a lifelong retailer, store store guy. Um, I, I'm from California. Um, I went to FITM on the West Coast in San Francisco and in LA. I studied fashion design um, and retail, they call it retail administration at the time. Uh, and I knew I wanted to be in this industry somehow, some way, whether I didn't know if I was going to be a buyer, a designer, a retailer, a wholesaler. I didn't know at that time. So I said, I'm going to study both sides and then I'll just see where it lands. And I did have a design career for several years. But once I discovered retail and the joy and the entrepreneurial spirit and the power that this industry has, I was hooked. And here we are you know, 30 years later, and I'm right. more and more excited about it every day. I love it. You know what I loved? One of the things that I loved most about your book was that you started off with the family experience and for you, how your family kind of set the stage for you. And I find, and maybe you'd agree, um, that retail is so much uh, so much like a family. I mean, the people that we work with throughout our the course of our careers, or even, even if we switch between businesses and companies, I mean, there's always that connection. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and my 
So my grandfather owned a construction company that became a pretty large player um, building grocery stores, specifically Safeway on the West Coast. And I, he was certainly my role model for leadership of um, how he led, um, how he inspired his teams, how he was incredibly humble for running a large company, how he connected with everyone. And, and it was, for me, it was the power of observing that kind of as, a, as an outsider that really, it set the tone for how I think I, he very much inspires my leadership today. I love that. I love that. It's so special. And, and I, I think that anyone who decides to pick up your book, if they haven't already, they're going to, they're going to, it's, it's the, that first part, that first chapter, I should say, that really starts to draw you in because I think everyone kind of has some story where they can think about their experience growing up and how that impacted who they are today. So I just love that. It it sounds like he was a, a really interesting man. Very interesting man. And while I didn't choose construction, I certainly chose to continue to use him as my example. Like, well, what what would Papa do here? Like, how would mm-hmm. it work? And it, we had a lot of phone calls, you know, throughout. You know, he, um, through my adult, you know, growing up of like, well, what should I do? How does this feel? Uh, and he, having someone to bounce that off, even though he knew yeah. nothing about my industry, didn't matter because it, it's about people, which is, I know, you know, the topic of our conversation today. Yes. But it didn't matter if he was leading teams of people doing construction or I was leading teams of people in stores. We're still leading people. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the ideas of it and the, the love that we have for that um, transcends any industry. And I feel Absolutely. very strongly about that. Absolutely. I totally agree. And actually, it's the perfect segue because I should uh, set the stage for all of the listeners that we are talking a lot about retail today, but we're also talking about everything that is totally related to any industry. And it's one of the things that I always try to keep in mind for my podcast, because I know that there are listeners who are not in retail or who maybe have left retail. And I think that if there's anything that we know about retail, it's that it teaches you about life itself and it teaches you about things and just the the life experience, humanity that is really applicable to people of all backgrounds, industries, et cetera. I do. I completely agree with you. Awesome. So let's jump right into it because I have some very exciting, I think they're exciting questions. I know I'm excited to ask them. Um, But the the very first thing that I want to mention is that your book has literally been all over my Instagram, all over LinkedIn. And it's probably because I'm so heavily connected to retail leaders. And as you mentioned, Megan is the connector here for us. When I heard you on her podcast, I was like, oh, I've got to reach out. Um, Because I was just so excited about what you were talking about and and what we could get out of your book. Um, So without giving too much away, can you share, and you kind of already touched on this, but what, what really inspired you to start writing your book? And did you expect the kind of response that you're seeing today as kind of I started in the beginning I have such um, a deep kind of love is it's a big word but it's a true word in this scenario love of this industry and the and the people that do the work every day the hard work that goes into it because I did it I grew up in stores from sales and assistant manager store manager district manager in you know now I've had the opportunity to lead the retail teams for a number of great companies and my passion for them was is deep and what happened several years ago um, is that the 
the conversation about our industry shifted to in a very negative way. You know, the, this kind of term retail apocalypse started to trend. Um, there was a lot being written about the death of retail. And I took that very personally. And I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like the people that do this um, every day, no matter what they're selling, have a real like commitment and joy in what they do. Mm-hmm. And so I started to write a blog called, it was called Retail Fitness. Um, I don't know why I chose retail fitness because I love fitness <laughs> and I love retail. But, you know, to try to un- just unpack of like, let's minimize the noise and let's really think about the power of our industry and the importance that that we all play. And I'm one of those people. And so I ran that for a while and, it, and I really learned a lot about what people are interested in hearing about. And and then mid 2019, I said, you know what, this needs to become a book. This like I there's there's literally nothing on the on the bookshelf today prior, I should say, that spoke directly to stores. There are books about how to run great retail companies, how to start a retail business, how to um, maybe reinvent your existing retail fleet. But I wanted to speak to everyone that does the work because the, that those are the people that I had such joy for. And so I, I approached it from um, um, when you're writing, they ask you to create a, an avatar. Like, who is who are you writing this book for? As I'm pitching my ideas to the publisher, who is this for? I'm like, so she's probably... She, I, she was female for some reason in my head because this is a female-dominated industry, mm-hmm. and you know probably like 25 to 28 works in a in a store in a mall in the middle of this country, and maybe it's like her second or third job, and she hasn't really figured out if this is going to be her career. She may have gone to college, maybe not. It's like she she played in different things and works in retail and really loves it and has a great manager and is like trying to uncover what's next. Like that's who I want to find. I love and, that. And there are millions of those people. And oh. like that's that's my audience. And so that I, I wrote it specifically not to change the industry, but to motivate and inspire, maybe re-inspire in the millions of people that do the work in stores every day. And it's the book is not about one specific segment. You, know, you can work in pharmacy, in home, in luxury, contemporary, doesn't matter. It's all retail, totally. grocery, it's Absolutely. all retail. And so I think the, to answer your question around, am I surprised? I'm a, I am surprised, but I'm also working really hard at it because I know how totally. important it is. It's so important. And as someone who grew up in stores, it's always what I say. I grew up in stores going from big box to fashion. Um, I totally see my, my I can see how you thought of that, that girl, that person. Um, and I was like, now, now that I'm thinking about it, I was kind of seeing a lot of myself. I kind of did feel like you were speaking to me. I'm like, (laughs) Ron, you know, about the things that I'm talking about in my head. No, this is amazing. And, and I think, you know, to, to kind of go on to one of the themes that I found to be really present in your book, it was one that I I really think again is relevant for both retail and non-retail. And that's about people centrism. And we, we just kind of touched on this and, 
my podcast is obviously all about people. As a director of HR myself, um, I'm very focused on making sure that all of our decisions, anything that we're talking about is people-centric. And and I, I'm happy to work for a company that is aligned with that. Um, but in terms of where you stand, I'd love to hear more about the moment that you first recognized how pivotal um, that role that people play in business was. Like, where, When did you first notice that? So I, I really uncovered that as I started moving from kind of a design career into a retail career. So my first non-design opportunity was with a department store. It was called Broadway at the time. I think it rolled under into Macy's and they had a management training program. And I said, well, if I'm going to jump into this industry as kind of a novice, um, what do I want to do? So I went into this management training program. And you spend a little bit of time in the buying office and a little bit of time mentoring with other leaders. Um, but they then gave me the opportunity to be a department manager. Um, and I remember it very clearly because it was like it was a Levi's shop. And so it was a relatively, it was just Levi's. And I remember having this team, and you know, at the time, department stores had very tenured employees, mm -hmm. and they, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years with the brands. And so here I am, 28 <laughs> maybe, with a lot of energy and a lot of drive. I was like, we're going to win, we're going to do this. And they were like, who are you? And like, <laughs> leave us alone. Like, stop trying to have a contest, stop trying to have fun. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna win these people over. We're gonna find ways to make this the best place possible to work, and, and I kind of even like referenced my grandfather at that time and said, well, like, what would he do? And it's about getting people on your side. It's mm -hmm. kind of like telling people what you stand for. Why do you want to do this? Why do, why do you work here? And do you want to win? Do you want to be on a winning team? Well, let's do this. And, it's like, and I didn't play sports in school. I didn't ever have that experience. I learned how to lead teams by working in retail. And pretty soon I figured out if I get them on my side and we can do this together, then we're going to have an incredible department. And that's exactly what happened. And pretty soon it's like, well, Ron, like men's furnishings is in the next department over. Why don't you take that too? And why don't you take the rest of the men's yes. floor? And yes. so pretty soon I had a pretty big experience pretty big um, responsibility area, but I did it the same way of like, why are, and asking a lot of questions. So why, what has been your experience working here? What do you love about working here? What do you not? And what can I help support you in to make sure that you have the best experience possible? And I think that's our responsibility as leaders is to ask a lot of questions first, before you start spewing out Totally. Your commands. Like, well, totally. you've worked here 25 years. And, and like, why should they start listening to you all of a sudden? Correct. Right? Like, why? Yeah. And it's a, fascinating to me what happens when you just sit and listen. Absolutely. And, and how you can lead others and the power of people comes through learning their story. So true. You know, this this kind of brings me to my thought around what really captivated me about your discussion on great retail leadership because I I have always kind of coached by my teams over the 
over the years that you have to always get the buy-in. And this is essentially what you're talking about. Ask a lot of questions. Don't jump down people's throats. Like they need to get to know you and you need to get to know them. And that is really probably the essence of people-centric businesses, right? Is like really knowing who works for you, who are you working with and, and and vice versa for them to be able to know you. Can you dig in a bit on how you have been able to retain top talent? Because naturally you get the buy-in, but then when that happens, sometimes the person is super top talent or the person is maybe not the right fit. So especially in a competitive market, how do you retain that top talent? And then what, what do you think from your perspective good leaders need to do more of to drive and attract top talent? So if I really thought about the retention piece, I think it goes very much back to if people stay in in great jobs or even you know, average jobs because of the leaders around them. And and whether that's compensation, whether that's um, overarching like benefits that they have, but the, the person that has the most impact on their retaining them is their either direct supervisor or maybe one person above. The further you get away from the work, the less impact you really have on their experience. So oh. you know, even myself leading a retail organization, I spend a lot of time um, in stores having conversations, not with the managers, but with everybody else. And I think that's retention happens at the ground level. and all of us that lead teams would say our job gets easier when our teams are happy and our teams are happy if they appreciate the company that they work for and that they feel appreciated and sometimes feeling appreciated is again having a conversation and just listening Mm -hmm. and maybe it's a handwritten thank you note maybe it is a phone call maybe it's an email but the, the closer you can get to everyone doing the work the leaders roles become that much easier and then the leaders can do more and then the the company continues to do better and you know i'll use my experience here at intermix um i today three and a half years in have the exact same leadership team as when i walked in but i didn't um and that includes district managers everyone here at headquarters but it but i won't say that they were all really happy to be here at the time and like, but we're let's change that. Let's do this together. Let's let's improve our results. Let's improve our atten- retention. Let's improve our experience. And we're going to do this together. And I think part of great leadership is over communicating, you know, having, um, being very bold about what you're going to stand for. But don't just say it. Like, here's how, and here's the work I'm going to do to help you get there. And I, I've never had an experience where if someone had said that to me, I'd be like, I'm in, like, let's go. What can I do to help? How can I be better? But it's, don't just say it, act it, do more, get involved, ask questions, pivot your strategy. Because I think also those of us in senior leadership roles have a tendency to set the strategy. And then regardless of the feedback that's coming up, we stay true to that strategy. And Mm -hmm. I'm someone that said, you know what? I thought that was gonna work, it actually didn't. So we're gonna, based on your feedback, we're gonna change our plan. And then I think people look at you as a leader and say, I appreciate your honesty mm-hmm. that you failed and you're going to change the plan because you knew it wasn't working. And that's, yeah. I feel like that's just a modern way to think about how to retain people, how to motivate people, how to think about um, 
new generations of people joining the workforce, how do they want to be led? What's important right. to them? Um, because it might be different than what you think it is. Absolutely. And you know, you bring up really interesting points that made me think about, and I, I pulled out the book because I was like, let me go to my notes here. Um, you talk a lot about how to put it to work. Like that is in every single, after every recommendation or piece of advice, you talk about how you can actually action that advice, how you can put that into action. And I definitely am not going to give it away because I think everyone should buy the book and read it. Um, but one of the things, and you actually just mentioned this a bit earlier, was this concept of telling people what you stand for and what do you stand stand for. And that for sure, and I told you this before we started recording, was the like hands down most pivotal part of the book for me because I think we probably as leaders, we think about, okay, what do I want people to know about me? What do I want people to take away from my leadership? But do we really think about what we stand for? And so talking or thinking through what, you're, what you've shared about the buy-in and kind of creating and retaining these top talent um, individuals or a top talent team, I think that that's so, so important. And I'm sure that as people read your book, I think they'll probably take the same message away that it's like, it's not just about who we are as leaders, but it's really about what we are standing for every single day. Every, every single day. And, and you do that through providing feedback, through having conversations, through asking more questions, from being empathetic. You are, as a leader, you're in a constant state of communicating what you stand for. And if you, so I'll back up. I think one of the challenges that you hear in retail really off, very often is that the people that work in headquarters don't understand what we do every day. And mm -hmm. that is, it's been a common theme. I'm yes. sure it's a common theme for a hundred years and will continue to be a common theme. And, and in many cases, that's probably true. But, but that's where we have the opportunity to say, you know what, you're 100% right. We haven't asked enough questions. We didn't dig in. We, we didn't tell you what we stood for, and but how we were going to get there and how to put it to work, exactly to your point. Mm -hmm. That's really important to not just say it, but like, how? Like, what are you yeah. talking about? Totally. How can you make this better? And that's where you can say, so let's just have listening sessions. Let's learn. But then here's what I'm going to do to act on your feedback. And mm -hmm. if you say that to a store, and I, I have used this in my own, just traveling the country, visiting every mall, I feel like in the, in the US <laughs> for the last 20 years, of just like, let's sit around and talk. Let's capture what, how you're feeling. But here's what I'm going to do. And they expect me to do something. They're going to tell mm -hmm. me it's my responsibility to solve for it or to continue doing the same things that they love. We'll keep doing that, but let's do more of this. And yeah. the, the power is so unlimited when you listen and act and, mm. and figure it out for them and, and just change one thing. They'll do anything for you. Oh, yeah. And that's what I love about like the entrepreneurial spirit of retail. And again, mm. it doesn't, I've led all different kinds of teams, but they have very common themes. Oh, and totally. That, that's what's so, you know, it's so special about retail. It, it is. And, you know, I, I uh, started my retail career at Target mm -hmm. and now I am in fashion. And I was, I actually have been now in my role at SMCP for the same amount of time 
um, as I was in Target. And so having four years at Target, four years at SMCP, you know, it's really interesting to see that people are really not so different. Just because it's fashion doesn't, and Target is big box, doesn't make people that much different. And, you know, it, this brings me to my next question about um, your point on appreciating non-traditional work histories. Because for me, this resonated so much because as as someone who went from a big box to a fashion uh, retailer, it was not easy. I mean, was I a trusted partner immediately? Yes, because I had this proven track record. But it, when I was interviewing, I vividly remember that every question was like, how are you going to transition? How are you going to I'm like, I don't, should I be worried that I don't know how to transition from retail to retail? But I was like, just, you know, these are all transferable skills. I'm an HR person. Like I'm going to be an HR person through and through. And we're talking about retail. And to me, the best transition is going from an in-store experience to a corporate experience. I mean, no one knows the stores better than someone who unloaded trucks for a $100 million store. Right? Totally agree. Totally agree. Right? So that... Yeah. I mean, it's that is where I would love for us to dig in a bit on on how we can give advice on transitioning into maybe even a different industry or how we talk about our transferable skill sets. But also for the hiring managers listening, how do we how do we get them to hear this point that this diversity of thought is so it should be so appreciated and given a hug. Almost. <laughs> I, I love the hug. It's a great retail thing too. Yeah, so I, I would approach this answer from two different sides. I agree with you. It's it's very much a hiring manager conversation of mm -hmm. let's think bigger than the list of questions that you're given or that your that your company has traditionally hired people from this industry. And I can speak from personal experience because I worked in luxury leading Saint Laurent. I worked you know in. I work in luxury today, not at the same level as Saint Laurent, but Intermix is a luxury multi-brand mm -hmm. retailer. Um, you know, leading Apple is is luxury, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, but I also sit on the board of directors of Goodwill, and that is for me the way to inspire at the top and say, no matter your business, whether it's you know two thousand dollars on an average transaction or twenty dollars or less how you hire and lead and inspire is exactly the same mm -hmm. and what you want to get. And so even tomorrow I'm going to New Jersey to visit several Goodwill stores on a store visit. You know, and so I am my own Ron self, whether I'm leading my own team or whether I'm a board member doing it for another organization. So I would challenge everyone to just think differently beyond the, the traditional way that we hire. But I'd say on the candidate side, you know, this is also an industry that I don't think we've put enough effort um, on the employee side, the candidate side of educating yourself about the industry. And right. so if you think about not just the brand you work for, but what's happening in retail overall, what's happening in technology overall, like what maybe your brand doesn't use it, but you should be educated about all the different ways that the world is shifting in, in our mm -hmm. industry. And so if you can sit down in an interview, maybe it's a luxury brand that you've aspired to work for but never did, but you sit down with a hiring manager like me and you say, let me tell you about my background, but let me tell you about what I also know about our industry. 
and how it's evolving and how I can add value to this by doing X, Y, and Z. Because everyone looks for great people. Everyone wants great service. Everyone wants mm -hmm. to work in a great culture. Like we all say the same things. But <laughs> yeah. candidates that um, have actually thought beyond their own resume about the industry, and there's so many ways to do that today. There are webinars and podcasts like yours mm -hmm. and Clubhouse and LinkedIn Live. Like the list goes on of our totally. ability to learn what's happening in our industry. And I challenge everyone, like take full advantage of the fact that there's more content today about retail happening than there ever has been before. Yeah. But pay attention and you will become a better candidate. And the hiring manager should and can often appreciate the fact that it isn't just about your resume. It's about right. your commitment to this industry. And you know, it's how I finished the book is mm -hmm. it needs to stop, stop saying that this is accidental because I, 90% of the people that I've met in the last 25 years have said they're in retail by accident. And I'm, and, and I, for many years, I just thought that was funny. I'm like, oh yeah, like it wasn't really for me, but you know, I understand. I've reached this point now of like, the minute that you say that this is intentionally my career, you act differently, you resource 100%. things differently, you build your network differently, and you show up at work differently of like, this is my career. I'm going to be intentional about what I do. And yeah. that that changes the dynamic. And pretty soon you become a really great candidate. Yes. Can I tell you, I was totally called out at the end of the book because I used to always say, and like, I'm here for the truth. I need people to always call me out. You know, like I, I really appreciate it. And I was like, oh, wow, Ron is really calling my, he's calling me out here because I always say, or I used to say, because now since reading your book, I don't say this anymore, Good. but uh, I used to say, oh, I just fell into like, tar you know, after college, like I just fell into retail, even though I was a sales associate for you know, different retailers in high school. Like I just fell into it. It was an accident. I didn't think I was going to stay in retail. And when I read that, I was like, I'm I unintentionally holding myself back. Every time I say it was an accident or I didn't intend on staying in retail or retail sucks you in. And once you find that you love it, you never leave. But it's really shifting the paradigm. It's shifting the mindset from this isn't really my passion to this is what I intend to do with my life. And this is it's actually one of the things that I try to talk about as often as possible that retail is not going anywhere. People, I mean, right. the retail apocalypse, people always talk about it. I mean, when you look at what the impact of COVID has been on retail and that now we have 16,000 jobs added in apparel and fashion or apparel goods, we'll say alone in just March. I mean, that it yeah. goes to show you retail is not going anywhere. So thank you for calling me out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit apologetic, but I'm really not because I think that it's, um, no, that was important you know, for me to, to read. Well, thank you. I'm thank you for saying that. But I, you know, the book is called retail pride for a reason, because pride is such a word that it's a controversial word in its own way, but you have to think about, you know, it, do I have pride or am I, do I have shame about working in retail? Is it that I'm in here because I don't have an education if I like, and I did it myself. I'm like, oh, I just work in retail. I did it myself. And I, I had to come to my own, like addressing my own shame of like, stop saying you just work in retail, yeah. that you, yeah, I don't have a big education. I don't have, you know, I don't have a lot of things that people that are 
um, at the executive level have. But what I have is a skill that I have learned over years that now I'm really proud of and I want to change the conversation because Absolutely. we have to stop hiding and just saying, oh, I just work in retail. Like we have to stop that. Throw away the just, yeah. Just throw it's it like, away. And like, I'm proud I work, work in retail, retail and I'm proud to work in it. Like that is, right. I, I have not met a lot of people in my career that have said that. And I, mm -hmm. to your first question, why do I think this has resonated so well? Because no one has ever said that before. Totally. I and, completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for that. And like I said, don't, yeah, don't apologize. It was super important for me to have that reckoning, I think, with <laughs> myself. And 90% of people who, like me, have said I, I fell into retail or it was an accident, hopefully will have that same uh, internal dialogue after reading the book. And so switching gears a little bit, there's a part of your book in the last few chapters where you start to talk about establishing a sense of belonging. And especially with the context Text of DEI, I see DEI as wellness, belonging, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and this is also coming from some conversations with other leaders in industries who um, are leading the DEI conversation. And I've I did a podcast episode a while back with two women who are really um, they they come from wide dynamic dialogues, and that is their business. And they talk about how wellness is part of DEI. And and recently on Clubhouse, I've learned that belonging is also part of DEI. So I think it's it's interesting to think about how it's become a conversation that's growing and, and it's really continuing to grow. Um, but specifically, you talk about how belonging contributes to a winning culture. And I, I think I'm curious, in your experience, which companies are doing this the best? And what would you say they have in common as it relates to mutual ownership in driving a winning culture? There are companies that have reputations for great culture. And maybe even within those companies, you know, that there may be parts of different departments or different um, legs of it that have great culture. But I think ultimately we own, it is our own responsibility to create the workplace that we want to mm -hmm. work in. And that we shouldn't rely on the company to provide anything to us that influences our own experience and if and it's asking for what you need and sometimes creating a sense of belonging is saying is calling people out and saying I love working here but I um, expect the company to do better here and I mm -hmm. want to belong but I'm but I want to be able to articulate how I think this could be a better place to work I want to um, improve the culture and so I think I've worked in organizations that um, had, I think, great company culture, but then there were stores that were terrible places to work, mm -hmm. or there were districts that maybe weren't as um, powerful as others. And so it, I think all of us that have any kind of leadership role have the ability to influence that culture, no matter your role in the company. Mm -hmm. and I believe that. And that mm -hmm. can be from bottom up versus top down. You can change the company culture. You as a leader, you know, when I said, I. I have the same team for three and a half years. You know, I didn't change the people, I changed the culture. Mm -hmm. And then the people want to stay. And mm -hmm. is did I change the entire company? You know, maybe I'd like to say I had an influence on the company culture, but most importantly, I had a I changed the culture of stores. Absolutely. Um, so I know that doesn't exactly answer your question, but I think we have to think of it. 
um, and like don't let someone else make the decisions for you. This is so impactful. Uh, actually, I think in in asking this question, I was kind of secretly hoping that we would talk about how it's it's not the company and that it's every single individual who contributes to the culture. And I don't know if in your experience you've met with candidates who say, I was always placed in these really terrible situations because I was there to fix the stores. I was there to fix the culture. Those are the people that I pay extra special attention to because they're the ones that aren't afraid to get in there and say, hey, we need to change things. We need to do things differently and to really lead, motivate, and inspire. If anything, it's going to inspire people who might lean on the side of complaining about their current situation to actually take a solution-based stance and really impact the experience that they're in. That's great. And that's if we do that better every day, then we we wouldn't sometimes run into situations um, or and I'm sure you as an re- leading HR and retail exit interviews are the worst time. And I'm sure you hear it of like, worst. well, if the company had done this or this or this, and I never said anything and now I have a new job and I'm on my way out. And I, that it's so painful for me to hear that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I wish she would have just sent me an email because I would have been on the phone in five minutes and we would mm-hmm. have solved this for you. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to say how you feel. Don't be afraid to ask for what you need. And the, the, you may not always get it, but you can feel confident that you asked. And mm-hmm. the company can choose how they want to respond to it. But that's how we can create belonging is by by listening and encouraging open dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. One of my one of my final questions for you, which hopefully will tie in all of the conversation that we've had around getting the buy-in and leading highly effective teams, productive teams, and so on and so forth, and belonging especially, is about relationship building. It's a big topic for me. I have consistently said on my podcast that I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for these strong trusting, especially underline bold, the trusting, strong trusting relationships. So from your perspective, uh, what are some quick action items or action steps that individuals listening to this today can build or can take to build authentic and trusting relationships? So I think the, the authentic is the word here because where I have been frustrated sometimes in points of my career where I felt like people were only reaching out to me because they needed something. Hey, Ron, can you write um, a reference on LinkedIn for me, even though we worked together 15 years ago, you know, I haven't heard from mm-hmm. you since. Can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? Are you hiring here? Do you know anybody here? And you know, I, I'm gracious and I'm helpful and I, would, I always say yes. But I had this sense of frustration of like, I'm, I have more to offer than just my network. And so I wanted to build important relationships that um, were based on authenticity and that they neither one of us was asking for something that mm-hmm. we had a mutual respect mutual love of the industry of a company of um, you know, maybe a wellness maybe a, a, a similar passion for something that it was mutually beneficial and that becomes so much more authentic and I think that's part of the reason why people have responded so well to the book, because it's actually 
very authentic. When someone mm-hmm. reads, you and I didn't really know each other, but now that we've known each other for 45 minutes, you read the book <laughs> and you're like, if anyone that's worked with me, it was like, this is like having a touch base with Ron. Like, these are my, these are my words. Yeah, I felt like and, we were having a conversation. <laughs> I love it. And, but, but it's very true and it's authentic. And mm-hmm. so it isn't asking for something and I'm not asking for something. And no one's asking me. Like, we have a mutual respect for an industry and for people. And if you mm-hmm. approach all of it and you approach the networking that way, don't try to sell me something, but like, hey, we both love retail. Let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah. You know, I met all through my journey of becoming an author uh, through the publishers, a whole bunch of other authors who come from all these other industries who now we're like have a WhatsApp group and we have a monthly Zoom call and like oh, when's your book coming out and, you know, they're gold medal Olympic athletes and business owners and um, women with some really tough stories about experiences in the workplace and like mm. incredible people. We had a common love of becoming an author. We had nothing else in common, but now mm. we're all great friends. And so I think you have to find those moments of building your network that are about true authenticity. Yes. And those will become friends for life because you're not asking yeah. for something. Right. Oh my gosh. I love that. It makes me think of someone that I recently connected with on Instagram, who's also in the HR space and she does like small business. She'll actually be a guest on a future episode. And we, we just chatted over zoom for like 30 minutes. And I was like, do I have a new best friend in California? Is this what just happened? Like, this is amazing. Uh, like, I'll take it. I didn't know that I needed any new friends, but I certainly, if it's going to happen like this, I'll take them. So I, I think that's so important. And the, the the topic of authenticity came up a lot, I think, in 2020 because everyone was in this, uh, I don't want to say fight or flight mode, but this mode of really questioning who they were. I mean, it's, it was almost like life or death in many situations for people, especially when, when people were impacted by unemployment and things like that. And I, I try to say it as often as possible that if you are not authentically yourself, if you're not building authentic relationships, you might as well just quit. I mean, it's just not worth your time. It's not worth their time. So I really, I appreciate what you've said on this point. Yeah. And I think if you have been in the place in your life where you feel like you don't actually have the ability to give, that you have not had that experience, that um, sometimes having a conversation with someone that does, you you uncover things that they didn't even know that they were powerful Mm -hmm. and they like embracing their own potential ability to impact and, and offer things that they didn't even know that they have. And sometimes I think that's all of our, it's our responsibility as humans, like help bring out the best in other people. Totally. Uh, and as a leader, I think that's really important, but just as a person and as a friend, you know, like be, be the person who helps other people be better every day, help them right. find their power. Right. And that changes people's lives. It really does. And it makes the world a better place. Like it might sound cheesy, but at least, I mean, we all have this same barrier to entry in life. And we all have the same want and desire and need. And fundamentally, I mean, don't we all just want to enjoy the people that we're around and be able to receive some kind of, again, the hug that, you know, especially in considering all that's going on in the world, the more that we can do to add to this positive uh, takeaway or perspective, I think is totally worthwhile. So finally, 
I, I hate to end our conversation because I'm having a great time if I'm, if I'm being really <laughs> Me too. candid. Thanks, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really would love to know, looking back on your decades of experience, what are you most proud of? When you, when you really look back on your career, what is that, that one thing that if someone says, what could you not live without? What was your best experience? What are you most proud of? What would that be? Um, I'm going to, again, say something controversial. I'm most proud of myself of getting this book done mm. and getting this out and changing the conversation of one of the most important industries in the world and the people that do that work. And I, that was not my intent to be proud of myself for doing it because it was about giving back. But now I sit in a place of like, this is really good. Like I'm really actually positively impacting people who I never met and who maybe have picked up this book or heard about it or heard me on a, on a podcast like you. And it changed a mindset. It changed um, and maybe an action, a decision um, in a positive way. And if, if I've done that for someone, then that's something that I'm proud of. Um, yeah. So thank you for asking that question. I've promoted a ton of people and there's, I could, the list goes on of things I'm proud of other people, but today I'm proud of myself. And that is, um, that's new for me, I will tell you that. Well, I'm proud of you too. I know that we haven't uh, met in person yet, but I, I think what you've done is really remarkable. And clearly you are uh, a, a person who really stands behind the actions that you take and you also stand behind the words that you speak through action. And obviously that was something that we spoke uh, a lot about because that how to put it to work is such a prevalent theme. And I think you, I think it's a wonderful thing that you've said you're proud of yourself because if we're, if we're not proud of ourselves at the, at the <laughs> point in our careers where you are, like, we've got to, <laughs> you know, there's probably something more there. That's, that's really true. Yeah. And, and, and recognizing that we, no matter where you are in your career, like early on or 30 plus years in it, like I am, we still have so much to yeah. do and to give. And that's really, that's an important thing to, for all of us to recognize mm -hmm. is, Absolutely. is the power that we have. Absolutely. Well, I think it's really, really using this word powerful. I think it's really powerful to think about how many people you've reached with these books. I know a lot of teams have purchased these books um, through their, you know, like team building to read through. And I think it's absolutely fabulous. I, I want to support you however I can. And I really, really, of course, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to share all of your insights and words of wisdom with the listeners. And I'd love for us to close out by talking about where the listeners can pick up your book and we certainly will link everything in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you. So it's Amazon's a, a, an easy way. It's on um, eBooks and hardcover and paperback. Um, but if you go to retailpride.com, that's like the, the resource for everything. So the links, there's um, a link for bulk purchasing at a discount through the publisher. Um, but I also, you know, I, I host um, my own networking events. Um, sometimes I call them Saturday morning with Ron to just bring people together to network um, other you know, maybe panels I'm on. So there's a whole um, kind of events page. There's other um, media and podcasts. There's a blog that I write. Um, so there's a lot of information on retailpride.com. That's probably the best place to go. 
Perfect. So I will definitely link all of that. And I'll also link your Instagram in case any of the listeners would like to keep up with all of the exciting things that you're doing. And uh, I just, again, I really, really appreciate your time. And thank you for putting this book out there. I know it impacted and changed my life for sure. Wow. Thank you. That's really special. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you.